truthfully, if Pedro Pascal wanted to play the role of a reluctant dad figure for the rest of his acting career, I would support that like 100%. Coming to you from the Fifth Element Podcast Network, I'm Tishan Pugh, and welcome to Black Moon Watch. I am absolutely overjoyed at being here with you all today. Um, I know it took some time for me to get this first episode out to y'all, but I've been having some technical difficulties, some like some self-confidence issues, but we're, we're going to put all that stuff on the back burner for right now. And... Um, I'm just like really, I don't know, I'm just bursting at the seams, I feel like. But I'm really excited to be able to sit down and talk about one of the things that I love like the most in life um, outside of my mom. <laughs> and that is just the overall genre of science fiction. So how this podcast is actually going to work is that each season I'm going to be talking about a specific genre. So for example, this season is everything all things sci-fi, whereas next season could be about rom-coms, it could be about action movies, it could be about international films, so, you know, we'll see. But this season is just, it's it's science fiction, y'all. I love science fiction, I'm a huge nerd, and the movie that we're going to be discussing today kind of, it's, it's like an introduction into why I really enjoy sci-fi, and I honestly couldn't pick a better film to open up with. Um, I just honestly want everyone to imagine how long the original list of movies were um, that I wanted to talk about on this podcast, but I had to shorten it down to at least like eight or ten movies, and even then that was hard enough. But without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce y'all to the film that we're going to be talking about today. So it is written and directed by Zeke Earl and Chris Caldwell. It stars Sophie Thatcher, Jay Duplass. I think that's how you pronounce it. I've been having such a hard time trying to figure out how to pronounce his name. I want to say it's Duplass. I want to say I listened to an interview he's done because I'm actually a huge fan of him and his brother. And I want to say it's Duplass, not Duplass. So please correct me if I'm wrong, but we're going to go with Duplass. And also starring Pedro Pascal on this episode titled Hello to the Green. This is 2018's hidden gem of a sci-fi flick called Prospect. More like prospecting is indeed an obscure craft, an art form worthy of the highest order of review. Some of us have the proclivity for greatness, almost do not. Before we really get into um, why I love Prospect and kind of what makes Prospect the movie that it is, I want to talk about the relationship that I actually have with this film and how it holds a special place in my heart. So this was, I think, one of the very first quote-unquote quarantine movies um, that I watched really so last year, I want to say it was like last March, um, back when things were getting really serious with COVID. Well, serious enough to where people were starting to openly panic and a lot of things and a lot of places were getting shut down, aka I lost both of my jobs in like one day. I was working at um, a movie theater and I was also working at an escape room and um, I lived in Memphis, Tennessee. So at that point, Memphis was like any establishment that's not um, essential has to be shut down. So yeah, I lost both of my jobs just like that, then a snap of a finger. 
And so I was just at home and I decided that I was going to move back with my family back in South Carolina, but I had about roughly two weeks before that actually happened. So I literally just had two weeks of doing absolutely nothing. But not really nothing because I decided that I was going to try and catch up on my watch list. So there were so many movies and television shows that I needed to get caught up on. So I was like, you know what? This is the perfect time to do that. So literally every day for those two weeks, I would wake up, <laughs> watch movie after movie after movie, maybe watch a couple episodes of television, fall asleep, and then wake up and do it all over again the next day, which is kind of like a dream for me. Until I was like, I don't think I can take this anymore. <laughs> and little did she know that, uh, yeah, you would, you would have a year more of that stuff. Probably another year coming. But anyway, yeah, I started watching movies, started knocking stuff off my watch list. And I also started rewatching a lot of things. So one thing or one show that I rewatched sort of and I caught up on the new season was Narcos and if you don't know what Narcos is it's an original Netflix series and it's just a heavy dramatization of Pablo Escobar and his like reign on Colombia and um it just really takes you into like the CIA's you know war on drugs all that good stuff um but one of the characters in there and these characters are some of these characters are based off of real people obviously because Pablo Escobar was a real person. Anyway, um, so this show was told um, from the point of view of the two DEA agents who really had a heavy hand in taking down not only Pablo Escobar, but also the Cali cartel. And that was Stephen Murphy and Javier Pena. So Stephen Murphy is portrayed by um, Boyd Holbrook. And Javier Pena is portrayed by um, Pedro Pascal. And so when I was watching the show originally, um, when I first caught it, I didn't pay any attention to like who was who. I just do this thing like when I'm watching something new, I just watch it straight through and I don't really stop to like Google who this person is or like Google the cast. I don't, I do that afterward <laughs> just as a, as a sign of respect. I do it afterwards. So after I finished the third season, I just remember being like, the guy who plays Javier Pena looks so freaking familiar to me. Like, where do I know this guy from? And sure enough, I I think the day or so before, I actually rewatched the um the sequel to uh, Kingsman: The Golden Circle. Well, not this. That is the name of the sequel, but it's a <laughs> a sequel to the Kingsman film that came out like a couple of years ago. And I was like, that's where I know him from because he also played in that movie. Okay, that's so cool. So I looked him up. I also realized that he is the Mandalorian, um, which I knew that. But again, I, I barely pay attention to a lot of stuff. I know I I'm really am working on that. I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, so he plays the Mandalorian. He played Agent Whiskey and Kingsman the Golden Circle. Um, I learned that he also played, I think one of his most prized performances and one of his most well-known performances was that of um, Game of Thrones uh, and he portrayed or he played uh, Oberyn M.F. and Martell <laughs> aka the Red Viper and I first of all let me just go ahead and say this like up front I am not a Game of Thrones fan all right I've, I already feel the booze and you know keep it keep it I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. Um, I started watching it actually a couple of days after um, 
I lost my jobs or whatever because I was like, okay, I have all the time in the world now. Like, I can surely start Game of Thrones, right? Uh, yeah, I know. I watched the first four episodes and then I just stopped. I don't, I don't know why. I just, I just do that sometimes where I'll start a show and then I'll watch a couple of episodes or maybe I'll even watch a whole season and then I just absolutely stop. And that's what happened with Game of Thrones. But it doesn't matter anyway, because uh, from what I told, you know, Game of Thrones is actually a really good series and it really had the potential to be a big piece of like pop culture. I mean, and it it still does like have a, a sort of like relevancy as far as like pop culture goes um, in like film and TV and stuff like that and media. But that last season, boy, from what I heard, yeah, they tanked that pretty hard. They just had the ship and just crashed right into the iceberg. Like, they <laughs> they did not care. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Game of Thrones. Um, So yeah, uh, Pedro Pascal played Oberyn Martell, and I actually ended up watching just the episodes that he was in. So he comes in at season four, and he's only in for, I think, seven or eight episodes. We're gonna pretend like the last episode never happened. Um, to my knowledge, Oberyn Martell is happy, he's healthy, he's got all his kids. Him and Ilaria are living their best lives in Doran, all right? And that's the end of it. But I was like, well, like this guy is a really big deal. How did I not know that? So I started going through his filmography. So I had to whip out my handy dandy letterbox app. I searched his name and, uh, all the movies that he's in was listed and so I just started working my way through his list because I'm like I had to know who this guy is like he's obviously a big deal um so from there I started with uh Bloodsucking Bastards and that film is actually it's it's really good I really enjoyed it if you've seen it you're probably like she has no idea what she's talking about trust me I do it's really good um and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about that film in a different season of the show maybe so I don't know we'll see but I did start with that film that he was in um and then I watched The Great Wall which is a film that he stars in with Matt Damon that kind of got um some heat behind it just because you know Matt Damon but anyway uh a lot of people felt that it was gonna give off this like white savior kind of storyline where you have this like white English guy coming in he's saving you know all these native people yada 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 and in a sense the film kind of it kind of gives that vibe a little bit but it's a little bit overshadowed by other things and overall I really did like that movie as well and I know a lot of people are also gonna jump on me about that but we're not here to talk about that one today the next film that I saw um, that starred Pedro Pascal was Prospect. And I was really intrigued by the poster. So on the poster, it's um, just kind of like a headshot of him and the character C, and they're wearing these like space helmets. So I was like, okay, so it's like a sci-fi movie. I don't really know too much of what it's about, but I decided to go in completely blind and I found it on Hulu, but it is also available on Netflix. You can also catch the film on YouTube and some other streaming services. Anyway, um, so I caught it on Hulu and I just remember after I finished watching it, I was like, okay, I love it, but I also don't like it. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out why I was feeling that way. And I'm just like, it, it was good. And then it ended. And I felt like there were so many questions that were left to like, 
that were, you know, unanswered. And I, I was just a mess. I was like, okay, I liked it, but I didn't really like it. And I think I rewatched it two more times after that. And that's when I started to be like, oh, so that's what this is. Okay, I actually really, really, really love this movie. Um, but before uh, we get into the specifics of why I oh so dearly love this film, um, I really want to talk about what makes Prospect Prospect, right? So we really need to break this movie down to its like bare foundation. And that starts with Zeke Earl and Chris Caldwell. So... Zeke and Earl uh, actually worked together. They were business partners. Um, and I think they were running like a commercial like ad business. So they were like film commercials for people. Um, and so they just decided, you know, they wanted to write a movie together. And I think that's always fun. Writing a movie with your friend. They're fun. And so Prospect actually started off as a a uh, short film so um zeke and chris kind of went the traditional in a sense um hollywood direction where if you really want to make a feature but you just don't want to like jump right into doing that what a lot of people do is that they'll take a scene from a feature that they've written um and they'll turn it into a short film and they'll use that film to get into festivals um get potential um investors uh to give them money to make the full thing which is what a lot of uh popular movies have done so like a few examples i can think of is a whiplash and uh, let me just say this up front i have not seen whiplash also please forgive me for that but um whiplash started off as a short film and i thought it was really 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 good because you get the the tone of the movie like right off the bat you get to know like the two main characters so, like the protagonist and the antagonist and then you get kind of like thrusted into this world and then it just like ends and you're like oh my god like I would pay to see like an hour and 30 minutes of that and that's the whole point of them doing that you know and I actually think uh the guy who wrote that film forgive me I can't remember his name but I think he won an Oscar for best screenplay I think or did that win best picture I'm not up to date on my um my Oscar trivia, sorry. <laughs> but uh, another film I can think of that kind of done that as well is Dear White People. And so um, Justin Simeon, who wrote Dear White People, wrote and directed Dear White People, he actually had this like concept trailer that he did, which I still believe is on YouTube that you can watch. But he kind of did this concept trailer. And then from there, he did the film. And then from the film, he did the television show. So it works. Um, it's not like a bad way to go. So that started off as a, uh, a short film, which is really cool. You can still watch it on the Dust, that's D-U-S-T, uh, YouTube channel. It's still on there. And so from there, they made the whole feature film. And it had its premiere at the South by Southwest uh, festival and then it went on to go play at the Sundance Film Festival which is a huge feat and then from there it uh, went to go bask in all of its glory. So the funny thing about Prospect is that it took four years to make and to be honest if I'm looking at this from a filmmaker's standpoint 
I'm like, wow. And I honestly, a filmmaker standpoint and from someone who knows nothing about filmmaking standpoint, that's a long time for anything, um, honestly. But one thing I want people to know, like if you're just diving into filmmaking, like head first is that number one filmmaking is extremely expensive and number two filmmaking takes a lot of time and if you are not a patient person like me you will hate this so much um I am not a patient patient person at all and the simple fact that it could take years just to write this script which uh, they ended up rewriting the script about three to four times. Um, it just drives me insane, you know? So even if you're making uh, an hour long, hour and a half long movie, or if you're just making a five minute short film, like this stuff could take months and it could take years. So it took four years to make, uh, but it was shot in 40 days, which I think is, is pretty, pretty darn pretty darn good 40 days that's not bad at all and like I said the script was rewritten three to four times and during this period Zeke and Earl just went and they created a wiki page for the world building aspect of Prospect and I know it was mentioned in an interview that they in this pro like in the span of like four years they were trying to get different um, investors involved to get the money to make the movie. And I think it was Zeke who was like, yeah, we were laughed at a lot. <laughs> um, not like literally, but it's just one of those things where, and I think especially if the first film that you're trying to make is a sci-fi, just because sci-fi, like movies are expensive, but then you have sci-fi movies that are like, mad expensive because you have to think about the like elaborate costumes and the props and if you're doing CGI, CGI, um, just all this other different stuff. So normally when uh, someone tries to get you to, or you know is talking to you about making a first short film or feature film they kind of ask you to like stray away from sci-fi because sci-fi can get very expensive very quickly. But in this process of them trying to get funding and rewriting the scripts, they actually uh, created a wiki page where they just went ham on describing this world. So from like creating an entire cartoon show and like fictional cartoon character, which um, I want to say at the beginning of the film, you could see the cartoon character on C's, which is a, she's the main character on her sweatshirt. Um, but just from that, you know, creating an economy, creating uh, like a pop culture uh, type of vibe, creating costumes and, and governments and like naming all this stuff. So they just went absolutely berserk <laughs> on this front. And they even created a whole new alphabet, y'all. Like I have done some world building stuff. But I have never gone to the extreme of like creating a new language or creating a new alphabet. Like that is just beyond <laughs> my like, that's beyond my mind. I, I can never do anything like that. So I thought that was really, really interesting and really cool because then it just shows me that they really care about the movie that they're making and not only do they care about the movie that they're making they care about giving the audience a, a super immersive experience and I think with sci-fi movies that's something that you cannot beat right and it's not a sci-fi movie yet because it is uh, or it has been announced um to be 
to be, to be or not to be. Anyway, um, it has been announced to become a live action film, but one of my favorite uh, video games or PC games is Tales from the Borderlands. And if you've ever played this game, you know just how immersive and how descriptful everything is within this like world of Pandora, you know, so you have the vault hunters and you have this, you know, the psychos and, and all this stuff. And it's just, it's so much fun, you know, um, especially because I was always the person who would play a video game or watch a movie and I'm too busy. Like instead of focusing on like the main task at hand, I'm just running around looking at all the details, like getting so excited over the littlest of things. Um, so the fact that Zeke and Earl really decided to, to sit down and really just like map out this entire world of prospects, it, it warms my heart. And it makes me feel really good. And I know that they, they spent hella time doing this. So respect to that. But another fun fact about the alphabet that they created for the film, um, Sophie Thatcher, who plays C, and she's our protagonist in the film, she actually memorized the alphabet. And in the beginning of the film, you could see her like writing in it. And again sheer talent the fact that she even memorized it and she could write it as neat and as pretty as it came across the screen um it just says a lot it says a lot to again how much everyone involved in the uh world building aspect or just the aspect of the film in itself they were just really really genuine in creating um an experience like like no other so you know, it's, it's all about the details. It's, it's all about the details. And I think you can understand that when you look at these different characters, because every character has like a different helmet and they have like a different suit, which kind of not only reflects them, but it reflects like their status in this world. So I know, I think from one interview, I always get the mix up. I'm like, was it Zeke who said this? Was it Chris? I don't know. But it was mentioned that, um, like, based on the helmets, you could tell, like, who was what. So, Micken, who's one of the mercenaries, based on his helmet, you could tell that he was, like, in the military. And based on the helmet of Ezra and number two, which is his, as he says it, um, his utility, not his partner, um, you could tell that, like, this stuff was... It was like brand new at one point, but then it just kind of like wore down over the, the course of the time that they spent on the moon and everything like that. And I just thought it was really cool. And literally, I mean, just anywhere that you look on screen, you'll see like stickers from different places, different like ads that they have plastered, different logos. And like I said, all of this stuff was created specifically for this movie. So they really, really just like had a huge hand in just making sure that this was this was organic and um I know it was also mentioned in another interview I think it was Zeke who said that nothing was off the shelf so I everything and I mean literally everything in this movie was done by hand and I just think that's um that's pretty freaking cool man <laughs> and uh, another thing, another detail about this movie that I really like is how even the music feels like otherworldly. 
Um, and I know they said they were really inspired by like the 60s, 70s, and 80s, like international pop music. So there might be like a, a 70s Turkish pop song in there, but it just fits really well within this universe. So it just works. So for me, I wouldn't know any better. For me, I would think, oh my God, like not only did they create all of this stuff, but they actually made this music specifically for the film. Uh, no, but this stuff already existed, but it, it just, it fits really well. Another thing that I kind of want to get into is the production design. And like I've been ranting and raving about, uh, the production design is <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> out of this world. So in a behind the scenes little featurette from the film, um, Zeke and Earl talk about how they, how they built Prospect, right? So what they did is that they took out a lease for a, like an old, like abandoned shipping warehouse and they converted it into a production studio. So everything that was made, like all meetings about the film, whatnot, was made in this production um, studio, which is really helpful to have everything in one place and to be able to shoot in um, in one location as well. I know they use the um, ah, what's it called? I think it was I think they said it was like the Olympic forest up in Washington state. I'm not 100% sure if that's the correct name for it, but just shooting out there and then just shooting all of their, um, exterior, not exterior, Lord, interior <laughs> within this, um, warehouse was actually a really smart move on their part. And I know that they mentioned that they were really inspired by like the Apollo mission, um, and the USSR, like their sort of like space, aesthetic I guess you could call it like a space aesthetic and they actually applied that to the color grading as well so you kind of get that like graining vintage type look but it feels like it's from the future hopefully what I said made a lot of sense to someone um so with this film and, and with this production um office that they have they really just took a bunch of local artists and craftsmen and, and whatnot and they bring them all together and they just they build prospect like they literally build prospect right so the drop pod um like the costumes the props like almost literally everything was was made by hand so like c's um headphones was made specifically for her the thrower um weapons were made the helmets like the spacesuits i just again that's just so it's a lot of work and i just think that's the coolest thing um and i know uh they said that he was um i think it was zeke that might have said you know it, it's like if people who are fans were making the film right and I think that's where that's like what you want to do right that like that's what you want to aspire to and that's another reason why I'm gonna make another reference back to the Mandalorian but that's another reason why I think the Mandalorian works the way that it does is because you know everyone involved in this process loves Star Wars. Dave Filoni <laughs> loves freaking Star Wars all right John Favreau love Star Wars and you can see that through their direction, through the costumes, through the music, like 
through every little thing. And even though Star Wars has been such an established universe for years, like the Mandalorian still brings something new to the genre and to the world. And I think that's what Prospect does as well. Like it, it, it's not like a movie you haven't seen before because I do feel like, oh, well, yeah, I can draw reference to this film or I can draw reference to that film, but it still brings something new to the table. And I feel like if you're able to do that, then you're a good filmmaker, you're a good director because a lot of people just take bits and pieces from different movies that they like and then they put it together and they think, oh, I made this wonderful thing. It's like, no, you just regurgitated someone else's film. But anyway, (laughs) um... I, I just, I'm just blown away by the sheer talent and I really also love that a lot of, not a lot of, I think everything was practical, nothing was like CGI. So what I mentioned about them building everything, so the drop pod, there's a sequence in the film where they're released um, from this like freighter space station type thing um, and they're like dropping onto this moon, the green moon. And all of that, you know, was was practical. And I am someone who fancies the practical over CGI. This isn't me saying that CGI isn't cool because it is. You can do a lot of things with CGI. I just personally think that anything practical is just, I don't know, it's just so much more fun. I feel like it's more campy. It's just a lot of fun to like build something you know and I think that's why a lot of the films from like the 80s and the the 70s and some of the 90s films works because a lot of this stuff was indeed practical and it wasn't just computer generated you know another thing that I really love about this this film as well like I said not only did they pretty much build everything but the ink just oh my god I cannot speak English today (laughs) Oh my god, I'm, I'm gonna try it. No, I'm not gonna try and say the word again because I'm gonna feel like I sound stupid. But anyway, it's just like how, again, like how in-depth things are. And um, I think Zeke mentioned in an interview, he was like, he got a Facebook message on like the film's Facebook page. And the person was essentially like, so where do they poop? <laughs> And he was like, yes, that is the question I love to answer, you know, and it just, again, it brings me back to um, some of the films that they were inspired by when making this, like uh, Alien and like I said, Star Wars and like Dune and Blade Runner. Um, It's just like you get these really intricate, that's that's what I was trying to say, um, in-depth questions about this world that just seem like pretty bizarre. But he did say that they, uh, the characters did have little like colossus. See, oh my God, there I go again. They had these bags set up to their suits. That was, he said it was a squishy, but it was used to relieve themselves. Um, so I just think knowing little details about their character and about their world, I think is really cool. And honestly, I have a few questions on my own. So the first one would be glasses. Uh, I wear glasses and I couldn't help but think while I was watching the movie how frustrating it would be to be someone who was like half blind in this movie because you're wearing this helmet, you're breathing, you know, it's getting foggy and I can't like keep, first of all, I can't even take my helmet off 
because the air is poisonous. So it's like, I'm, I just can't see. I'm, I'm already dead, you know? Um, so that's something to, to think about. But I then wonder, like, okay, so people who have glasses in this world, does that mean that maybe they get like a special modif- like specially modified kind of helmet that would like accommodate people who have glasses? Or do they like have these special contact lenses or like eye drops that they could use in order to see without their glasses? I don't know. You know, just something to think on, something to think about. My second question um, would be just as a black woman, uh, my hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't think it's going to work. Being in this helmet all day, it's hot, it's muggy, my hair would be a hot mess. So then I start thinking, I wonder if they're like specially modified helmets, again with the helmets, uh, a specially modified helmet that could like fit to certain like hair textures or would you have to like do that modification yourself? I don't know. I don't know. I would love to, you know, browse through like a a, cata- a catalog of, of the different helmets from this world and like different spacesuits. I think that would be really cool. And my last question uh, would be about like cryptids. So I am a fan of cryptids. I love little urban uh, folklores, urban legends. So I was wondering if there were any type of like creatures um, that not only roam the green planet, but if there are like other creatures within this world, you know, that we like don't have here or maybe they were on earth and, and something happened and they just like, I don't know, got mutated or something like that. I don't know. I'm just curious if there were any type of monsters because <laughs> I feel like that would be really cool especially being on this type of environment that is the green moon I definitely feel like there's something lurking out there in those woods and I don't want to be the one to find out not at all not at all <laughs> but now I kind of want to switch gears and I want to talk about the characters for a little bit so the protagonist for this film is C and she is joined by her pretty much useless father, <laughs> Damon, who is uh, played by Jay Duplass. Duplass. I think it's Duplass. Anyway, by Jay Duplass. And uh, C is played by Sophie Thatcher. And fun fact, Sophie was 16 when she made this film. And I just think, again, the sheer talent that jumped out of this girl <laughs> when she's making this. She is absolutely excellent she steals the show um and she's in every scene of this movie which I didn't even really think about too much um but one thing that I really liked that Sophie said about this film is that she thinks of it as like a coming of age and I don't think I've ever really seen a coming of age sci-fi movie I definitely feel like I have but like I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I just really liked how she said that because within this film, you know, you have this character, this young girl C, and she's 14 in the film. Um, So you have this 14-year-old girl. She's being accompanied by her dad, you know, who's more or less absent than her. I feel like emotionally absent. He's not physically absent, but emotionally absent. Um, 
And she's having to like make these big decisions at such a young age. Uh, spoiler alert, her dad does die in the movie pretty early on. And um, just like the relationships that she develops with Ezra, who we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but when you think about it, like, yeah, it is a coming of age story, you know, about how this young, timid, shy girl who's kind of unsure about stuff, how she learns to, to grow. And I do think a little bit of that is probably based on trauma because I don't know, uh, seeing your dad get like shot and killed in front of you is definitely traumatic. Um, I just, I want to give her a hug. I would love to give her a hug. But I feel like a little bit of that is definitely based on trauma of her like having to make these decisions. But I definitely think another aspect of her is just learning how to stand up for herself, you know, and, um, and just like being her own person. Because I know it's mentioned in the film that she, um, how do I say this? She isn't treated like a person, so to speak. So like what Ezra said about his quote unquote partner, number two, he says, number two is more of a utility than he is a partner. And I kind of think of the same thing with Ezra, not Ezra, with C and Damon. Like, she's more of a utility than she is, like, his freaking daughter, you know? And ugh, don't even get me started on Damon. There's a reason why I haven't talked about him this entire podcast because we don't like Damon, okay? I'm sorry, Jay. I just had to say it. But if I don't like your character, that means you did a really good job of playing it. So, thumbs up. Um... But yeah, I just really liked how she called this uh, a coming of age film. And uh, Sophie, she talked about a lot of how she was really nervous and how it was kind of like a coming of age for herself. Because like I said, she was 16 when this was filming. She was still in high school. Um, she was like, she was taking finals during filming, which is crazy. I could never do any of that at the same time. Um, and she was just like, you know, it was a coming of age for me because this was her first feature film that she's ever done. And she was like, I was nervous. I was scared. I didn't really know what to do. But then, um, and I know she said that they kind of shot it linearly so it was kind of um they were shot like kind of scene by scene nothing was shot out of order and she was just like you know as C was kind of going through her transition she was like I was going through my transition as well so um she learned you know like how to speak up for herself and and just kind of how to be her own person and how to, to like stand in all that makes her her right um so I just thought that was just really beautiful really lovely <laughs> um and she also talks about how she has similarities with C because in the movie after C's father dies um she like takes off back to the pod and she's kind of like releasing I guess or she's kind of grieving in her own way and she's jamming out to music and she's reading and she's like making a mess of things more or less. Um, and Sophie mentions that she also does music and she kind of likes to um, cope the same way that C does. So there are a lot of similarities within their characters. And Sophie talked about um, how much of a, again, like a transition this was because she grew up doing musical theater in like high school. And so for anyone that knows anything, um, musical theater or just theater in general 
versus film and television, it's like two totally different things, right? So she talked about um, in one of the interviews that I read, uh, just like how a little bit difficult it was, but how much she um, enjoyed the experience, which just, I just fell in love with her even more, y'all. Like I found her Instagram and I'm just like, how are you the coolest person ever? Like, at 16, y'all, 16, and that honestly reminds me of Debbie Reynolds, because I just recently watched Singing in the Rain for the first time. I know, clap it up, clap it up. Um, I just watched, yeah, Singing in the Rain, and I didn't realize that Debbie Reynolds, I just thought she was the cutest little thing, she was 18 at the time that she made that film, and I'm like, I can never do anything like that at the age of 18. I mean, she was tap dancing, like she had been tap dancing since she came out of the womb, and she probably was, but she was just absolutely amazing, and I kind of feel the same way about Sophie as she's playing C, because I'm just like, this is, this is wonderful, this is great, and Sophie even mentioned that she was, um, she was, has been acting since she was like four, so I just think, that's just the, the, the coolest thing ever. And maybe if I had, you know, stuck with tap dancing, I'd be a pretty good tap dancer now too. But things happen. Um, life changes. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was pretty interesting about C's character um, is that she was kind of inspired by Miyazaki's um, films. And, and how in each one of his films, you know, you have this young a woman protagonist and she's kind of like on this journey uh, whether it be like self-discovery or, or whatever it is but uh, Sophie just mentioned um, how much she really liked the films and how she really connected with C in that instance as well and the more that I looked at it I was like dang she's right that's that's crazy <laughs> but I really like uh his movies and um I really like that there was a young woman protagonist and she was like the main character it just makes it really interesting because I can't tell you how many times I decided not to watch a sci-fi movie because I'm like if I have to watch another film about a white man in space going through something like I'm gonna scream. I don't, I don't care anymore. Okay, I need something else. I need more women in space. I need more women of color in space. I need something else to happen, you know? It's not enough just to be a white man crying in a spacesuit. I'm sorry. Something's gotta give. <laughs> but speaking of uh, men in space, let's talk about Ezra. And let me just say this off the bat. I love Ezra, okay? He is something else. Now, I really couldn't find anything um, where Zeke and Earl were talking about the inspiration behind Ezra, but I do know that they talk very highly about Pedro Pascal, and I mean, who wouldn't? Like I said, he's an absolute star. He's really good. Um, you can tell that he cares about his characters deeply in the way that he portrays them, and Ezra is really no different, you know? Um, he really did like the dialogue. So Pedro asked, uh, asked, oh my God. <laughs> oh God. I don't want to talk about his ass, everyone. Calm down. Okay. I was going to say Pedro asked, oh my God, again. <laughs> I'm 
let me try this. Okay, third time's the charm. Pedro actually started off in theater. Okay, so he has the range, honey. Yes, okay, he started off in theater, and um, I know he was doing a lot of Shakespeare, things of that nature. So if you watch the movie and you listen to the way Ezra talks, you would think that he just walked right out of a Shakespeare play. Um, it's very, it's not confusing. I feel like Ezra is one of those people who says a lot of stuff and doesn't say anything at the same time. You know what I'm saying? But that's okay because if Pedro Pascal, you know, talks like this for the rest of his life, I, I really wouldn't care. Um, and he actually has a Southern accent in this. And I know, uh, the director's said that the reason why they wanted him to kind of have an accent was like it was just you know out of experimentation but also because the way that Ezra talks like I can't I feel like I can't like recite a line of dialogue from Ezra and say it in my voice like this you know because it just really wouldn't it wouldn't add anything to it but I don't know maybe if I had added like a British accent or you know, something else, um, some kind of like tone infliction in my voice, maybe that might make it sound a little bit better. But he, um, he just, ugh, Ezra is just a scoundrel. He's just really morally ambiguous. And I just love his character. And I really love how his character can kind of fit into any genre. Like you could take Ezra and put him in a rom-com murder <laughs> minus the murdering that he does in this film um or you could put him in like a western movie or you could put him in a comedy you know I I feel like Ezra's character could work in any genre and I think that speaks to the talent of the writers um and just how good the dialogue feels and, and how good of like a well-rounded character that Ezra is. Um, and a fun fact about Ezra's character, he has a blonde streak in his hair. And I remember, I want to say it was Zeke who was doing the Ask Me Anything on Reddit. And a lot of people wanted to know, myself included, where the heck did this blonde piece of hair come from? Was it something that they originally wrote in for this character? Was it something they added afterward? Like, what's the whole story behind that, right? And uh, Zeke mentioned that Pedro wanted to, like, add in this, this like, dyed piece of <laughs> dyed color in his hair. And they weren't really for it. They were like, yeah, you know, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's going to work. And they just really kind of like brushed it off. And I just can't imagine, actually I can, Pedro going to like a CVS or just like a local <laughs> drugstore getting a box of blonde hair dye and then just like leaning over his hotel um, bathroom like sink and dyeing his hair blonde and so I know he said that he uh Pedro came back to the set like the next day or whatever and he had this like newly added piece of blonde hair uh to his head and they were just like yeah okay I guess it'll work and I know they said eventually it grew on both Chris and Zeke um but I just can't get that image out of my head of him just like being like mm, yeah I think I'm gonna do it anyway and you know coming back on set but I know they said that he was inspired by Mad Max and that whole aesthetic and he kind of wanted to like 
do something different for Ezra and it works because that is one of the most memorable things I feel like outside of the way he talks his hair is one of the most memorable things about his character and also his scar so um I think the scar might be over his right eye or it might be his left eye I'm not 100% sure um and that was another question that a lot of people were asking on the reddit um ask me anything uh <laughs> they were asking about the scar and this is another reason why I love just like expanding these characters to the point where they just seem like real people and they're living real lives and they have backstories and childhoods and, and all this stuff um because I know uh Zeke said that Ezra will tell anybody that he got this scar from a knife fight but in reality he fell on his face as a kid and he just got the scar um which you know truth be told I would probably tell everyone else that I got this in a knife fight I don't know I just feel like it just <laughs> makes them seem more cooler because you know I don't think I would go around telling people yeah I fell on my face as a kid a lot so I I just I just really love his character um he's just he was a hoot you know god I feel so old saying that but he was a lot of fun to watch and it was a lot of fun to watch him grow um and change as a character now that he had to kind of like take care of C you know even though she I feel like was a little bit capable of taking care of herself but the relationship that they grew to have throughout this film it just really warmed my heart especially the last scene I was just she she had the chance to leave it all behind you know leave him behind take the Oralac which is like this really um it's honestly like gold on this planet. So she had the the option to take all this stuff, get on the ship and just go. But she came back for him. And I just, I just think that's neat. Okay. <laughs> so you're probably wondering like, okay, I've said all that stuff, right? But why Prospect? Why make a movie like Prospect? And I'm going to say this up front. I think that Prospect is a genuinely good sci-fi genre movie it marks off all of the boxes and it just it adds something new to the genre you know while still keeping in like traditional standards because I feel like a lot of people try and make like the next biggest thing and they just they tend to outdo themselves, you know, and they don't really pay attention or focus on the story. And that's something that both Zeke and Chris mentioned, like, you know, it did take four years to make this movie. But within this four years, we were able to get to learn our characters more, we were able to expand this world beyond just the little bit of characters that you see in the movie. And they also talked about how when they were rewriting um, the script waiting on funding, they actually wrote other scripts with other characters that took place you know within prospect whether it was after the events of prospect or before the events of prospect you know just so they had extra material for whoever was interested and i i think that's a really good thing to do i don't know if i would do something like that but i thought that was a a really good um a really good practice you know and just again the making of this movie is more than enough to me to get me to watch it 
Um, and I just am really inspired by the journey that Zeke and Earl took to make this film, you know, like they essentially built a, a budget out of thin air for this movie. Um, cause like I said, sci-fi movies are, movies are expensive to make, but sci-fi movies, that's an extra added expense in it sucks too when you know you're telling people what you want to do and they're just looking at you like yeah nah I don't think this is going to happen this is pretty much impossible but them being like you know what I love this movie I love this world and I'm going to make it happen and they did and I think that a lot of young filmmakers myself included need that message you know so like I need this film because this film reminds me that I could write something totally outlandish, but if I believe in it enough, like, I can make this happen, you know? Um, and they were smart about it. Like I said, they created a, a budget out of thin air, but they wrote this script with a budget in mind. And I think that's so important. And that's what, another lesson that I'm learning as a filmmaker. I think it's so important that when you're writing a movie, you think about all the things that you have, because I feel like a lot of the times, a lot of people trying to make films or just make something in general, they tend to think about the stuff that they don't have. But I'm like, what about the stuff that you do have, you know? So it's just taking what you can um, and just making something out of it, whether it's good or bad. Um, it doesn't matter, you know? I think what matters at the end of the day is that you made something that you love and you can share it with people like you get to share it with people um, that you love. And just that you don't need a lot because I know their budget was less than four million dollars which for a sci-fi movie I feel like that is uh considerably cheap <laughs> very 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 uh yeah very stingy and in, in a sense of of coins um but you know just taking what you have and, and doing it um it's the same thing for for Moonlight I know Barry Jenkins didn't really have this like big budget to make Moonlight but he did it and because this story was important to him and, and to Terrell, who also helped write the script, um, they made it happen. And it is and it's an Oscar, you know, winner. Not that that means anything, but it just goes to show that you just need you, right? Like, you don't need all this other extra nonsense. You just need you. You need your, your movie or whatever it is you know that you're really passionate about and you just need the drive to do it um and and that's that's why I love prospect you know and, and why it means so much to me and I'm really excited to see where this world goes I would love to have more um films or even tv shows about prospect so I know I'm talking with um well, not really talking with Zeke and Earl, but uh, I think it was mentioned in their Ask Me Anything that they were trying to pitch this as a television show to certain studios and networks. And I really hope that someone picks this up because I think this could be a really big thing. And just imagine what they could do with a budget of more than $4 million. You know, they have bigger production studios, more access to all these different resources and everything. And I just think that it would be really awesome to uh to see how this world unfolds to see more of c uh hopefully if her character comes back to see more of ezra if his character comes back but also just to see more of different characters that 
they might have written about during the period of making this film. Um, I'm just I'm just in love with this movie, okay? I'm so in love with this movie that I actually ended up buying this like merch pack that they had. Um, it included like posters and stickers and a um, like a patch that you could put on like a vest or something. And they also have, which uh, you know adds to another thing of just how great this world building is. They also have a um, get rich on the green guide. So it's like a little booklet and it's kind of like an ad to anyone who wants to like prospect within this world, right? So they talk about um, pods, the different type of pods you could buy, um, different kind of suits, like the throwers, the food and everything. So I mean, this, this world is just, it's great. It's wonderful. I'm in love with it. I would love to see more of it. And I'm just really excited. To, I mean, even if they don't do anything um, pertaining to Prospect, I would still love to see more from them. And I don't know how true this is, but I know, I think they were being looked at to direct like a Star Wars movie or like a Star Wars episode of some sort. I don't know. I don't know how true that is, but I, I think it would be really cool, especially because they mentioned that Star Wars was a huge inspiration um, in them with them for making this film. So yeah, here's to the, to the future of Prospect, you know, man. And if you would love to watch this movie you can do so um by catching it on hulu it's also available on netflix i think it's on voodoo um it's on youtube it is also on amazon prime for rent so if you're just looking for a pretty easygoing but phenomenal film to watch over the weekend or you just need something new switch it up a little bit i highly recommend prospect and that is what black women are watching on today's episode so i want to thank everyone who is taking the time like if you made it this far thank you <laughs> but everyone who's taking the time to listen to um send a word of support it really means a lot like i said i had a little bit of self-confidence issues um as far as this podcast goes just because i felt like it wasn't serious enough I don't know if that makes any sense what makes sense to me um because I'm just like who wants to listen to me talk about movies uh but then I realized I want to listen to myself talk about movies so I'm gonna do that you know and here we are so I just want to give a huge thank you to everyone again to all my family and friends who have supported me along this way and a very very special thank you to Charlie Taylor who has taken me under his wing and has allowed me and has welcomed me graciously into the world of the Fifth Element Podcast Network. I am forever thankful for all of your advice and um, you're just, your kindness, you know? <laughs> really, really great. Uh, you can catch Charlie hosting a number of podcasts on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you're listening to your podcast. And make sure you leave a good review for his shows and for this show as well. So again, thank you all for listening. I am Tishawn Pugh, and this has been Black Women Watch. Be safe. <laughs>